Hello everybody, this is Z, your editor, uh, just coming to you before the show to let you know that unfortunately part of G's track was lost. So as a bit of a spoiler, during the spotlights he originally mentioned um, toast ale, which is a bread, which is, which is a bread, which is a bread made from old beer, which is an, a beer made from the uh, disposed bits of bread that uh, bakeries and sandwich shops totally don't use. This loss also means that I had to fill in some of the gaps in the last 10 minutes or so of the episode myself, but nonetheless, I can honestly say that it is a fabulous show that awaits you, so I will not hold you up any longer. Thank you for listening, and please enjoy this episode of Phanthropological. Live from the Nixcast Phanthropological Institute, now with 33% more NBV, we're talking craft beer fans. everyone, and welcome back to Phanthropological, the podcast where we bring the fans I view to you. Today we're going to be talking about fans of craft beer. My name is Nick G, by the way. I do that first, but... And here with me to do that are my best friends, Nick T. Hello. Nick Z. Hey. Uh, podcaster, craft beer enthusiast, and epic guy, Nick H. It's a pleasure to be here, gentlemen. <laughs> Last time I'll do the accent for the entire thing, I swear. <laughs> I was wondering where you went. <laughs> and they're hanging up the call right now. <laughs> yeah, thanks for no, that's, thanks for joining us. That's it's been fair. great. Uh, the accent was really good. Uh, yeah, it's, a, it's an honor to be here. Thank you, guys. <laughs> I was hoping that we wouldn't invoke, uh, what's that guy? Don't worry, we won't bring him up. He's out of order. <laughs> no, no. I think Z knows him, but it's fine. I, I I might. I might, yeah. Don't even need no, to really talk don't. about it, honestly. No. It's... no. Yeah, I don't know no. why I brought it up. Okay. Yeah. I, I no by no means to to downplay uh Nick H, you're joining us on the podcast today. Especially because we're talking about a topic that I think you will uh definitely find more interesting maybe than some of our other topics. Talking about oh craft beer today. You guys always um, have great topics though, <laughs> so I don't even want to hear that. But yeah, craft beer is definitely a jam. <laughs> Um, getting getting us off with a quick little start, uh, we like to give a little bit of an introduction to the topic in case you knew absolutely nothing about the topic. Mm-hmm. And for once, this is a topic that I have things to say about. Oh, oh. Well, because most of the time it's like, you know, Star Wars. Star Wars fans are fans of the 1970s <laughs> show. It's like, okay, cool, fine. Um, giving a very brief introduction to craft beer. Uh, for starters, beer, if you didn't know, uh, is a, an alcoholic beverage that is brewed uh, by a process of like four or five steps. Malting, where you take some sort of grain, heat it, dry it, crack it. Mashing, where you take that stuff, steep it in hot but not boiling water. That releases the sugars. Boiling, uh, the result of the mashing is this stuff called wort, which is boiled with delicious Delicious hops, which I hear is a contentious issue. Oh boy. (laughs) Uh, And other spices. Uh, Fermentation, where the wort is cooled, strained, filtered, and put in a fermenting vessel with yeast, uh, stored at a different temperature depending on the type of beer. And then the bottling and aging process, where it's either artificially or naturally carbonated. Uh, And the other point that's important to get across, and I don't know if we're going to debate this or not, (laughs) 
is what craft beer is, because not all beer is craft beer. According to the U.S. Brewers Association, craft beer is uh, small, so it's it's from a facility that has an annual production of 6 million barrels of beer or less. It is independent, so less than 25% of the craft brewery is owned or controlled by a beverage alcohol industry member that is not a craft brewer. And it's traditional, so a brewer that has a majority of its total beverage alcohol volume in beers, whatever that means, uh, whose flavor derives from traditional or innovative brewing ingredients and the fermentation. So usually not f- through things that are added like rice. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, being fa- being a fan of craft beer, I can't imagine that that would be something that's you know super important. But yeah, so that's a, a quick introduction to craft beer. If you knew absolutely nothing about it, there are a million topics related to it from there. But I'm just dropping that for anybody who had no background whatsoever. <laughs> It's interesting because we watched that we watched that documentary on the weekend. Yeah, uh, crafting a nation. Yep, on Netflix, and it it gave us that six million barrels stat, which I feel is a ludicrous Whereas... number for a craft or like a small craft brewery. Like, <laughs> yeah. there's local breweries here in upstate New York where I live that probably don't even do like six hundred thousand or even sixty thousand a year. <laughs> like, you know, they maybe do like a couple a week. You know. <laughs> I, I find that number to be because I think I think Samuel Adams is still considered a craft brewery, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. they were featured on the documentary. Yeah, it's like, but I'm like get out of here. <laughs> yep. I'm like Samuel Adams is in like a lot of places, like even up here. It's yeah, they're I mean they're an international brand now. Like you can find it anywhere in the continental United States, or I'm sure Alaska and Hawaii. You can find it in Canada, probably parts of Europe. Get out! It's not a craft brewery. I'm sorry, but it's not. <laughs> uh, um, I was going to say an article I found. Um, called Why Craft Beer Fans Freak Out When Small Breweries Sell to Big-Name Companies. <laughs> uh, it was talking about specifically the state of Texas, and in Texas, it's 2 million barrels. Huh. I still think that no. number is absurdly that, high. That still seems... Yeah. Still seems <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if I were the studious sort of podcaster that I like to think that I am, I would have looked up how much a barrel is. <laughs> 60 gallons. 100 gallons. 200 <laughs> gallons. It's a, it's a decent <laughs> amount. I mean, a barrel of beer, like full size is it's it's a lot yeah i mean a, a barrel is bigger than a keg right i would believe so because yeah, the, yeah. The, that would be whatever they're storing it in to ferment it so i would yeah, yeah I'm, I'm pretty sure they're i don't know if they're the same size as like wine barrels and liquor <laughs> barrels or not i think they probably are i think they're probably the same size barrels but i mean you got to imagine those are what between 40 and 50 gallons u.s What's coming up for me Probably. is oil mm-hmm. barrels, <laughs> which is which is mm. defined as forty two. Mm. Even still, uh, man, that made me wow. mm. yeah, that's a lot. Uh, what I was going to ask, talking about barrels, Nick H, do you have a lot of uh, a lot of the craft beers you drink? Do you know if they're aged in barrels or if they're more traditionally fermented? And kind of like a steel. Most or of the time, setup? the brewery will let you know because most of the time they reserve barrel releases for just kind of special events like they'll have specifically like they'll have like the galaxy brewing which is a place down here in binghamton it's probably my favorite brewery in my local area and they do barrel stuff all the time but they're always limited releases so in terms of breweries like that i always take it to mean breweries they they do it with the you know the steel canisters and and everything like that the giant fermentation tanks and whatnot and then the barrel age stuff because i mean you got to store the barrels and you've got to purchase the barrels which is a whole other 
mess of nonsense. And I mean, you've got you've got these. They ferment beer in liquor barrels. They ferment it in wine barrels, whatever. But I mean, even still, for a small brewery, especially a really small operation, doing way less than six million barrels a year. <laughs> you've got to assume that they're you know it's just something that they only do it very very specially because of the cost of it and storage space and things of that nature but yeah they let you know mm. i guess that was my roundabout way of saying yeah they let you know if it's barrel aged <laughs> and then i just take it to assume that anything that's not barrel aged is just you know typical steel canisters and whatnot Mm. Yeah, if there's, I'm sure, a unique or special way of doing that, they'll let you know probably on the bottle or can. yeah. A lot of them do. Smaller breweries don't even do bottle or can releases. They'll do it in the uh, in the brew house only. So you actually have to trip right, to the yeah. brewery to be able to taste like these special releases that are barrel aged or whatnot. And I mean, it's often very well worth the trip too because they're usually something that you're never going to taste anywhere else ever. That was one of the interesting things that came up in, in Crafting a Nation, where we're watching this this documentary, and as it turns out, some breweries just legally can't take their beer off the premises. It's like, oh, there's a there's a pub right next to us. We can't sell to them, though. So, <laughs> so it's just like, you want our beer? It's like, what happens if we threw it across the fence? It's like, no. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. <laughs> well, that's one thing I found interesting. Um, let me sure that came up about... I think it was that same article about Texas beer and, and big companies is that, you know, uh, craft breweries will start with taps because they don't have to pay for bottling or canning. <laughs> you know, they just make them in kegs and then get into bars. But it's like tap space is very uh, in demand. It's super competitive nowadays, especially with yeah. the proliferation of craft brewing. It's insane. Yeah. Yeah. In my research, actually, on that point, um, one of the things that I found was that uh, – a year ago, in February 2016, apparently there were 4,100 craft breweries in the States, which is the highest number of craft breweries since 1873. Whoa. So there's just like a boom in recent years. God bless America. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, now there are probably even more. Oh, yeah. There are new ones opening literally all the time. Yeah. Uh, Nick H, you mentioned a little bit earlier that you're like, oh, it's kind of ridiculous that, um, you know, six million barrels or even two million barrels still qualifies as being a, a craft beer. And I totally agree with you. But I was kind of wondering, what is your definition of a, a craft beer? Because it seems like the one that the Brewers Association has created is kind of arbitrary. Yeah, I would agree. I think it's it, it's very generalized because I think you have to cast a wide net, maybe. But it, for me personally... And Stone's one of my favorite breweries, so I don't want to throw them under the bus here, but I wouldn't even consider Stone to be a, quote, craft brewery. Even they do some they do some amazing, amazing concoctions. They do amazing collaborations with a lot of other breweries. They're fantastic. But I think, for me, it's the footprint. It's all about that footprint. And I can get beers here in my local area. And this is, of course, one of the great things, but one of the worst things about craft brewing all at the same time. But I can have beer here in my local area that nobody else in the country or anywhere else in the world is going to get. And if I want to try something that's from a different area, I've got to take a trip and I've got to be able to buy something that's local to that market. That to me, it, like a regional kind of a footprint. 
I think is a hallmark of it. And I would say, I, w- I wouldn't put it at like 6 million barrels or something like that. If Sam Adams isn't even producing 6 million barrels, what chance do these little <laughs> podunk places have that are just basically, they they don't even do bottling and canning. They're just a brew house, just selling in a tap room. You know, I mean, you're talking, these, these places probably do like 10,000 a year. And they're looking at these statistics like, what? I would say maybe, maybe like a half a million and that's where I would draw the line. And that's being generous, too, most likely. Because most of my favorite breweries, especially local places, probably don't even do a tenth of that. <laughs> wow. Do you think Sam Adams is keeping it at five nine 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 to Probably. <laughs> Stop production. That, that, Slow that, down. That craft designation? Just no more. Stop. <laughs> I can't imagine how they're how they're not over six million. I really don't. I don't know. I don't get how they cannot possibly be because they're literally everywhere, everywhere. Yeah, maybe something uh, a little underhanded is going on, and they're contracting out to somebody else. And I don't know. You never know. There are a lot of breweries that own smaller breweries, like uh, like Shock Top, for instance, is owned right. by anheuser Bush, which was why it was funny when they did that Super Bowl ad. Like, what was it like two years ago where they were bashing uh, craft brewery flavors? It was really ironic because <laughs> Shock Top at the time had a craft beer flavor, exactly what they mentioned in the commercial. And it was like, <laughs> but you guys are, wait, what? No. <laughs> a little bit toned down. Yeah. I think <laughs> it's like, all right. As long as you sell another million cases of Budweiser, I guess that's all that matters, right? It's yeah. like the uh, story of Walmart being sued for inventing a fake craft brewery. <laughs> <laughs> oh my! I, they just—they just basically made up a craft beer. It's from a place in Costa Rica that is definitely not a craft brewery, and just called it Trouble Brewing. Oof! Wow. I mean, if I was to expect a big company to make a fake craft brewery, I'm not sure I would expect Walmart <laughs> of all places. I, wouldn't I would expect Walmart either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would expect yeah. somebody to make Walmart to make a cheap beer, but not like fake a craft beer. The um the article describes it as good for flip cup. <laughs> <laughs> In that when you hit the cups with the ping pong balls, they flip over and the beer pours out and you don't have to drink it? Uh, in, the, in the ideal scenario, I think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Ooh, God. <laughs> Ooh, that was... People want that, you know, Sam Adams sitting there with 5.9 uh, million. Everybody wants the craft brew designation. It means It means a lot to people. I mean, Sam, Sam Adams, as you've been talking about, like can't really escape its ubiquity. Like yeah. the ga- the game's up; it's everywhere. No <laughs> one's being like, "Oh, my little, my little brewery that could," right? About Sam Adams, but it's not even that Sam Adams doesn't have some decent beers, because I think they do. But it's a lot of their stuff is is far more mass produced now. It doesn't really have that home brewed kind of charm to it anymore it feels it it feels and kind of tastes too manufactured if that makes any sense it's mm-hmm. like yeah it, it doesn't really do it for me anymore there's a, like there's some of their beers that i will still drink if like i'm at a place and oh they have this okay give me that but i mean for the most part it's like you know where's the innovation you know where's the whatever and you, sam adams not to knock them either because 
they actually give a lot of money. It's my understanding. It's been a while since I looked into it, but they actually give a lot of money. They set up all sorts of grants and whatnot that they give to people oh, wow. for for brewing like smaller stuff, like small batches, home brewers and whatnot. Like they actually give away grants and they give away money for that kind of thing and to hold contests and whatnot, which is cool, which hmm. is really great because, you know, they're they're more than rich enough and they're more than big enough that, you know, if they give 10 grand to some schlub like me to, you know, <laughs> give it a crack or whatnot, I'm not going to put any kind of dent in their sales figures. So it's like, yeah, let's give back to the beer community. And yeah, I mean, I think they're, I, th- I think overall they're a good brewery. I just, I just don't think their craft is. <laughs> sounds like the Canadian equivalent to uh, Sam Adams would be Alexander Keese. I think that sounds about right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, same amount of ubiquity and, and perception basically. It's like respected, but it's not, uh, yeah. It's not a craft beer. Yeah, it's not Molson's or Labatt's, but it's no. it's you know, not quite uh like a steam whistle. No. <laughs> um I don't know if this is I don't know if this is Greek to you if you or if you've had some Canadian beers. I've well I mean, when I went to Niagara Falls a couple years ago and then last year we went up to Toronto in February, mid February of all times to go to hope, Toronto. Hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I it was like 25 below with the wind chill the, the weekend we were there. It was like wow, we were yep. mental. But we did. We stopped at a couple of breweries and a couple of pubs in Toronto that had some craft stuff. And same thing with Niagara Falls. We stopped at one craft brewery, I think, that was a a craft brew pub. Oh, cool. And whatnot. But then when we went to dinner in Niagara Falls, they had nothing but like your more major Canadian beers. And I can't remember the names of them now. You'll have to forgive me. But yeah, probably like ass. Canadian and Labatt Blue and, um, <laughs> you know, that sort of stuff. There, there, gonna... there was another one that was like a red something, red something. Rickards Red? Rickards Red. That's it. That's it. Yeah. yeah they yeah, they yeah. had that. Yeah. It, oh, it was terrible. Oh, that's <laughs> so bad. Oh, man. <laughs> Rickards White, the most popular beer in the pub on campus where I went to university. Wow. <laughs> because it, uh, I could imagine it's one of those beers, like we have those beers here in the States where the bar always runs a special on it. You can get a picture of it for like two bucks. Yeah. And I imagine that's, that's the, probably that beer there. Never never that cheap, uh, unfortunately, but yes. <laughs> it's like, just drink it. Compared to a craft, though, like if you want a bottle of craft beer, you can either get one bottle of craft or, well, I could get a whole pitcher of this. And granted, I'll probably still enjoy the craft more and feel it more when I'm done drinking it. But volume, there's a lot more beer. I mean, <laughs> there's, a lot. Uh, there's a reason why that works. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, one thing we... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say it's that valuation basis kind of thing. It's like, I know it's terrible, but look how much of it there is. <laughs> I would say, never mind the quality, feel the width. <laughs> <laughs> Things I didn't know about your dad. <laughs> All right. Oh, man. What I was going to say was uh, one thing we try to try to get to on the show is kind of the, the why behind the fandom. And craft beer is, is a little bit interesting because... As a fandom, it's very different than a lot of things that we talk about. Um, and so one question, especially when we have guests that we like to ask, is sort of like, you know, why are you a fan of the thing that we're talking about? In this case, craft beer. What is it about craft beer that is so, I guess, enticing to you? I think, kind of going back to what I was thinking about Sam Adams, I think it's the craftsmanship. 
I think it's it's you can drink your major brands in the states or in Canada or wherever else in the world. I'm sure it's true, but you can drink your major mass-produced brands, and for the most part, if you have a like a blind taste test and you pour Miller Light and Bud Light and Coors Light and whatever in a cup, you're going to taste them and you're not going to be able to tell the difference. I mean, they're very very generic and they're very very mass-produced, watered down to sell a cheap like mass quantity of something and craft beer is exactly the opposite of that it's more expensive you're going to shell out of the pocket for it but you're going to taste something you're going to get flavors in that beer you're going to get brewers and you're going to get these home brewers especially in smaller outfits like to be more experimental i've found that are going to just they're going to just try something they're going to say what if i did this what if i added these hops a little bit earlier what if i added an extra half an ounce of this kind of hop right at the end you know, what if I, you know, double the malt in this beer? You know, what's that going to do to the kind of sweetness that it's going to bring out and the back end of the beer? You know, I, I love that uniqueness to it. And that's why, like myself and Justin, my co-host on the show, we get out and we just try to find a lot of different stuff that we haven't tasted. And we do have our staples that we go back to, but it's that it's that uniqueness, you know, and I think wineries are a lot like this. I actually love wine as well. And I think wineries are the same way where down here in New York, I mean, I'm about an hour from the Finger Lakes mm-hmm. and there are like hundreds of wineries, hundreds and hundreds, but you can go to each one of those wineries and Riesling grapes are a huge, huge thing along the Finger Lakes region because it's a good climate for them. But you're going to get a different Riesling at every single one of those wineries. It's going to taste a little bit different. Craft beer is the same way. And that fascinates me about it. And when I drink a beer, and this may be just something that transformed in me when I got older, I love to taste beer. I love to get it in there and and enjoy every single sip of it. And I feel like if you're drinking, like, oh, I went down and got a 12-pack of Jenny for $4, you know, you're not drinking that to enjoy the taste of it. Like, oh, man, I really love that robust taste and that good, sweet caramel finish on the back end of that Jenny. No, you're just pounding them so you can get wasted and forget about things for a couple hours. Nick, I want to say. That was a really long answer to that, no, that question. That, that, that's no, that's, that's, that's great. I, I want to say, I had, a, I had a beer here ready to go. I opened it and started drinking it as you were talking, and I think you improved my experience a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and scene. <laughs> <laughs> So one of the things that you uh, you mentioned that, you know, to you craft beer is sort of the difference between buying super cheap beer that will just get you drunk and buying something like shelling out a little bit more for something that's got quality to it. That's got certain like a diversity of, of tasting notes to it. Yep. That sort of thing. So uh, do you think maturity of taste is an element of craft beer and like what makes craft beer so popular these days? I think so. I absolutely think so. Because, I mean, look at the varieties of quote-unquote craft beer that you have out there. You start at the the very, very light end of the spectrum. You have your Saisons. You have your Kolsch's. Things that they almost kind of drink like some of those bigger national brands if you just Mm -hmm. kind of don't really swing for the fences with them. You've got to be kind of creative with them. And then they go all the way to the other end of the spectrum with your really heavy, your English strong ales, 
your Belgian Trapels, your Stouts, your Porters. There's yeah. so there's such an eclectic range of of craft beer out there, and you know, oh, I'm gonna drink a Coors. I'm gonna drink a Coors Light. What? <laughs> what what's the difference? <laughs> well, from what I can tell, from from a lot of research that I did, like like most mass produced beer is about making sure that as many people don't mind it as possible. <laughs> Yeah, the, the I, I highest, agree with that. Highest amount of dollars. Whereas with craft beer, they're not afraid to make a beer that is that some people just won't like, because the people who do like it will really like it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, you haven't lived until you've tried like a beer with habanero pepper extract in it, which but I've tried. I do not want to live. <laughs> I I was not a fan. But I mean, it's unique. It's unique. And somebody out there that's got that spicy flavor profile is going to be like, yes, I love that, it. But for me, it thing. was like, yeah. My mouth's on fire, but it's like it was like a stout. Huh. So I was like, and this stout isn't really doing anything to kind of quench it. So it's just burning more. <laughs> <laughs> Best eaten with plain rice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to me, it's just crazy how many different kinds of beer there are. Um, mm-hmm. There's this blog that I follow, and it actually had something about beer, and I wasn't expecting it, called uh, Flowing Data. And it's mostly about visualizing all sorts of... All sorts of data, because that's the kind of nerd that I am. Can't take that back. <laughs> uh, they had a they had an article about the different beer styles by the numbers, and it just has all these different graphs of alcohol percentage and uh, IBUs, yeah. and then a little bit about color. And just looking at, you know, a bunch of beers just have really tight ranges, but Saisons, for example, have like, uh, what is it? They have a huge variation in how much alcohol percentage that they have. Yeah. And then you have some kinds of beer like... Belgian IPAs and double IPAs that have huge variation in their bitterness and in their alcohol content. Mm-hmm. It just like it just blows my mind how much variation there is. And the numbers don't even really tell of how oh, of intricate that variation is either because you can have a beer that tests something like like say like a really good strong double IPA. It's maybe like double digit ABV, but then it's got like say 80 IBUs, but because they add some type of malt or they use some type of hop at the end of the process, it nullifies that really bitter punch that you get when you drink something like that. And then on the other hand, you'll drink something that's like 30 IBUs, but because they used like a really bitter, like a really high alpha or something like that, mm-hmm. it hits you like a freight train. Like, yeah, this is bitter. Here you go. <laughs> <laughs> And some people love it. I love bitter beers. I love oh, IPAs are my favorite. Uh, IPAs are my favorite varietal of craft beer. They are, they're so amazing. I love them so much. All right, Z, go. What? Okay, oh, go for it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. this is what I was waiting for. <laughs> this is this is something that I've I've wanted to hear an answer to for a while now. Um, and uh, I, I've got to preface it by saying that you you certainly do do not seem to be alone in your love of IPAs, uh, Nick H. Why do you like IPAs so much? Is it just it's the that, bitterness? It's that it's that bitterness. And I I've talked to some other people that love IPAs. Some people love the really really high bitterness that kind of leaves you with a dry mouth afterward, mm-hmm. which is interesting because that's not my experience of it all. Like I love a, a bitterness where when you when you take a first sip of it, it's got a really, really strong, prominent, bitter characteristic. Depending on the type of hop, it's usually either piney or really citrusy. And then I like it when that bitterness doesn't let go. 
all the way through because you'll have some beers that when you take a sip of them, the flavor profile changes from the sip to the finish down. But it's it's absolutely that bitterness. And my favorite thing is when that bitterness, it doesn't let go. It it it, it really stays strong throughout the beer. I love it. I just it's it's one of those things I know it's an acquired taste. My wife she, if it's got a whiff, a whiff of hoppiness <laughs> to it, she will not like it whatsoever because it just, and I'll, I'll give people my beers and stuff like that, like my wife, and she'll taste them and it's like her face will just twist to the most sour expression because <laughs> she just does not like it, you know, but it's just one yeah. of those things where I love it so, so much. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm a, I'm a much bigger fan of uh, porters and stouts, so not much of a hop guy. Porters and Stouts are fantastic. Yeah, it's just something I've never understood why IPAs are so popular and every craft brewery seems to have like two or three IPAs. It's just beyond me. I feel like it's one of those things where, well, and not to say that this isn't true of a lot of other styles because, I mean, you can get like thousands of different styles for lagers, oh, yeah. porters, stouts, whatever, and what have you. Yeah. But I think it's there's so many different combinations you can make with especially hops you can bury a lot of flavors into a hoppy beer that'll really complement porters and stouts are actually the same kind of way because especially chocolate coffee peanut butter things of that nature you can bury a lot of those things in there and they really blend with it and i think kind of going back to that mass appeal kind of thing you're putting things in the beer that really are going to open it up to a lot of different people and that are going to just be able to, to, I don't know, just wrap their tongues around it. But it's it's like you said, it's an acquired taste. You have to be, you have to be there in terms of your beer. I don't know how <laughs> else to say it, but you just have to be that person that just loves that bitter punch in your mouth. And that's, I love it. I, I think it's absolutely fantastic. The more bitter, the better. Double IPAs and triple IPAs are absolutely my favorite Jeez. beers. Absolutely <laughs> love them. Especially like a good triple that's got like 14% alcohol by volume and <gasps> like triple digit wow. IBUs. Like you take a sip of it and you just feel like, I, I, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like, <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> I think I think that did a pretty good job. Just yeah, was, yeah. It's, I mean, it's, yeah, it's 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 so good to me. It's it's kind of the same way. And maybe this isn't true for you. Maybe it is. But when you drink a really really good porter or stout, for me, mm. a great porter or stout characteristic is fullness of body and yes. like a really really good kind of malt characteristic. Whether it's got more of a toasted yeah. flavor to it, or whether it's got more of like a sweet maybe caramel type of flavor or chocolate mm-hmm. type of flavor or whatever. It's robustness of flavor and fullness of body. I've had some stouts that tasted like water and ass and <laughs> yeah. they were not, they were not fun. They yeah. were not fun. Yeah. I, I haven't like had a really super wide experience of uh, different craft breweries, uh, stouts and porters, but there have been a few that have fallen pretty flat. If you're ever in the States, stay away from Birdland Brewing in Elmira because their stouts and porters okay. are horrible. They're, they're, they're so light that you can almost see through them. They're stouts and porters. <laughs> you can almost see through them. Like I, I looked at them. I've never seen a stout or a porter that's like that. Like Most of them are that, that pitch black or that very it's dark supposed to be, brown. It's supposed to be like light, light can't even escape it, right? Yeah, yeah. Ex- exactly. And the, like These things were like, I don't know, they looked like poop water or something i don't even know like light it's like, oh it was nasty and they tasted terrible oh they were so weak they just they tasted like water with like roasted almonds in it or something wow 
Um, I, I was, I was just gonna say maybe another reason that IPAs are popular, and this is coming from somebody who doesn't drink, but uh, my my guess would be because IPAs, given that they tend to be more bitter and given that they tend to be more alcoholic, um, and given that they're a top fermenting beer, um, are probably just easier to brew. Like if you want something to be, like, I don't know, if you add more, ho- if you add too much hops, it might be a little bit too bitter. But if you're expecting an IPA to be bitter, then that's kind of what you're going for. So I, I'm guessing just that IPAs are are one of the kinds of beer that are easier to brew than some of the other varieties. Yeah, they are absolutely very easy to brew because I have actually brewed one, and mm-hmm. I got a, a home brewing kit for Christmas. Finally, my sister and my brother in law <laughs> got me one, and. It came with a Centennial IPA recipe, so just a single hop IPA. Very, very basic. And I said, that doesn't work for me. No, 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 no. <laughs> so I went down to my local homebrew store, and I picked up a bunch of extra hops. I picked up Warrior hops, uh, which are very, very high alpha, so they're very, very bitter. And I picked up some Citra hops, which have a really, really yep. powerful kind of citrus punch to them. Yep. And I threw them all in there. And I expected it to be insanely bitter, and it was it it was like <laughs> too bitter. I need to get some new equipment because I didn't I wasn't able to filter it all the nah. way properly, mm. so it still had too much wort in the in the in the finished product. But mm-hmm. it the the flavor profile was fantastic and the bitterness of it was fantastic. But then because of the kit I had, and it was a weird weird uh, transformation. But you get it in your mouth right, and it's really really bitter, and then. All of a sudden, it transforms into like you're drinking caramel because the malt that came with that kit was just so strong. Ooh. It turned into this completely sweet, like, like smooth, buttery caramel kind of finish. Super weird. Super weird. It, it's the first time I've brewed beer, so I'm like, I don't know what I did. And it was probably <laughs> because of the kit that I bought, the recipe that came with it. So I was just like, yeah. When I try it again, I'm going to use the same hops, but I'm going to use I'm going to use fresh grains, and I'm going to use a lot less of them because I think that there was just so much malt in that kit that it was like. <laughs> yeah. All right, I got a question for you. Uh, where did you learn to uh, talk the talk, talk the beer, talk the beer taste and talk? Did you just pick it up over time, or did you like make an effort to? kind of learn it honestly i think it was just i think it was just over time i think with anything the more you immerse yourself in it the more you can describe it with passion it's kind of the same way with film because Mm -hmm. i watch so many movies and i study film in a way that like a general audience person going to a movie doesn't so like it's just over time if you just kind of immerse yourself in it you're able to tease out more of the things that are going on in it and it's kind of like if you think about like a wine sommelier you know, it's 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 got to be like the most messed up job in the world to be the wine sommelier because like ninety five percent of people are going to have no idea what you're talking about <laughs> and they're not going to taste the difference between a hundred dollar bottle and a ten dollar bottle. No, you know, and the same thing is true of craft beer. Really, like I could sit here and I could be like, oh, this has you know, it's got a prominent nose. There's a little bit of mango in there and then it kind of finishes up. It gets a little more citrusy. Maybe you get some orange in there, maybe some lime or something like that. And you're going to talk to some people and are going to be like, what are you talking about? What? <laughs> it tastes like beer. Yeah. It, it tastes like beer or it tastes like I don't like it. My one buddy says it tastes like skunk piss. You know? 
it's you know it, but it, I mean seriously it's like you know what like it, it, I think it's just one of those things that it, it's you immerse yourself in it and eventually because you are so impassioned about it I mean of course I've done reading about mm. craft beer and and stuff like that but I mean it's it's just I think immersion within it it's not like I went out and picked up the the craft brew hipsters guide to <laughs> talking about your beer or yes. something thankfully i hope that doesn't exist but i know it does you can write it too i don't want no <laughs> no you don't want that to exist in the world I, no i really don't i mean it should it should uh, be it quite. should be passion forward right you find out i think well i think that's what you want like that, right really yeah. But I mean, sadly, that's that that doesn't make some people money. They've got to try to corner whatever market they can. Let you me know. ask you this: yep. It's kind of unrelated to beer, but how many times a day do you use the word mise en scène? <laughs> Wait, what? So mise en place is every like everything in its place. Couple times a week, probably. Oh, okay, that's pretty. Couple times a week. It depends on who I'm talking to. Like if I'm talking to most people, I won't. But well, like if yeah. I'm talking to If you want to continue people, to talk to them, no, you won't. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the mise-en-scene was just perfect in that film. The what? <laughs> yeah, that, Get out. That's why they just open is, their door what? casually and they're just like, get out. <laughs> Please leave. Oh, boy. Uh, All right. Kind that's of the a, extent oh. of my film theory, Nolan. <laughs> 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 Let's get back to beer. Sure, but sure. I want to know what mise en It makes me is. feel good when I use mise en scène as well. It makes me feel really, really good. It's kind of mise en scène. If you think about it, it's deliberation of staging. Like if you look at a camera shot in a film, it's mm-hmm. the way objects and people are placed within that frame. That's mise en scène. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. That helps it's, a lot. It's like me as an English major using a semicolon correctly. <laughs> it's just like a little thrill. Yep. <laughs> sure is. <laughs> Maybe it's just if we are yes if we are getting back to beer that does (laughs) depend on your that depends on your English professor because oh yeah some of my English professors in college utterly detested semicolons and others were like yes yes always why use commas (laughs) (laughs) I I have nothing to back this up but I think when I was in university there's like this this movement uh, where the semicolon was like a Canadian writing characteristic. Really? So it was kind of championed. Not to be overused, wow. but to be used properly. Yeah. Yeah. I say I say really and I was in I was in the same program at the same time as you. <laughs> I don't think I noticed. I love semicolons. I think semicolons are amazing. Because yeah. sometimes sometimes you write two complete sentences and sometimes you really feel like they should be married together. But a period doesn't marry them. No. A semicolon marries them. And it's just yeah. It works, but the the problem is, is you get people who abuse semicolons and just start throwing them in everywhere. <laughs> yep. Yep. How I the hell did this I, get to I abuse grammar? commas. Man, oh man. Speaking of abuse. Um, <laughs> whoa, whoa. Bring Where's this going? <laughs> Great Follow segue. me here. Follow me. Follow me here. I don't really want Speaking to, Speaking right. of abuse and beer. Follow me. Follow me. Um, <laughs> Nick, Nick H., do you think we would have pumpkin beer if it was not for craft brewing <sighs> what were those what pumpkin beer for pumpkin those not beer in the nose. yeah go for is it is the bane 
of my existence. Ooh. I utterly and completely detest pumpkin beer. I think 99.9% of it tastes terrible because mm-hmm. I found that with pumpkin beer, it's one of two things. Either A, way too much pumpkin in the mash and it tastes like raw pumpkin, which who wants to drink that? Or Nobody, even. that's who. <laughs> or B, what a lot of them tend to do is there's maybe maybe there's not even real pumpkin in the boil, but they just take a lot of pumpkin pie spices. Yeah. They always inevitably Oof. overdo one of them, and it's like drinking a mouthful of nutmeg or a mouthful of allspice or a mouthful of cinnamon, one of the three. And it, it, every time, every single time, I've had maybe like one or two pumpkin beers in my life that were really, really enjoyable, that I really was like, okay, that's not a bad beer. Everything was very subtle. And that's subtlety, I think, is very, very huge in beer. I mm-hmm. think you can't have overwhelming flavors because then it, bleh, it's just not my thing. I have to have subtlety. And pumpkin beer is like anti-subtlety. Pumpkin yeah. beer is like, we're going to punch you in the face with pumpkins. <laughs> well, they got to taste the pumpkin. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, it, uh, uh, no, it, that's what I found in almost every case. Almost always overspiced. Almost mm. always. I mean, it works for pumpkin pie, right? No. <laughs> no? All right. You know what? I'm perfectly fine with drawing that line. <laughs> you know what? That's a different topic. I love that's pumpkin pie. That's I, pumpkin pie fans. I'm I'm that guy that 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 um, I'll buy pie pumpkins and I will reduce and make my own pumpkin mash and make them from scratch. I love pumpkin pie, but there's a subtlety to it. You can't just mm-hmm. upend a bottle of cinnamon and expect yes. everything to work out okay. <laughs> And I think the yes. same is true for pumpkin yeah. beers. It's like somebody who's like a huge fan of nutmeg is just like, let's put it all in there. <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure the recipe only calls for this? No, all of it. And that's what I feel like happens every time that they're planning these recipes. <laughs> you really get the pumpkin. It's like, oh. it's like, okay. Do you know, are you aware of Jones soda? Yes. Okay. It's like, like it's good, but it's also gimmick soda. And it sounds like that's what pumpkin beer might be. Yeah, although I would disagree that pumpkin beer is good, but yeah, I can kind of see what you're going for there. Because pumpkin beer is one of those beers that appeals to a wider crowd of people. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I mean, granted, you do have brewers that try to make things like pumpkin IPAs, which are always horrifying. <laughs> horrifying. If you think about hops, the characteristics that hops add to a beer is like a, a, a kind of earthy flavor, a piney flavor, or a citrusy flavor. Picture any of those three with pumpkin. <laughs> it it does not work whatsoever. Pumpkin lemon pie. Yeah, right? <laughs> Perhaps not. I just had a pumpkin grapefruit scone. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I'm not a fan of grapefruit, so that's already not off to yeah. starts. <laughs> I was trying to figure out, like, how... What is the community of craft beer fans like we we talk about um other other fandoms and you know their conventions and there are craft beer festivals but i get the impression that it's a little bit different for say like craft beer fans specifically i have a specific bone to pick with craft beer and beer festivals Ooh. only because 
And, and, and granted, if we go back to earlier in the episode when we're talking about the justification for what is a craft brewery, well, okay, less than 6 million barrels a year. So you can pretty much shoehorn anybody in there. So you go to these craft beer festivals, and I, I think they're fantastic for local beers, like small breweries that want to band together, get their product out there to a wider audience, get people that haven't ever tried their beers before or come to their brewery to try something. I think that's fantastic. You've got brands like Angry Orchard Cider or Samuel Adams or any of these other major national brands. You have no place at a craft beer festival. Get out. Go away. <laughs> Far away. And like, But they, they come in there. And most of the time when I go to these craft beer festivals, I've actually stopped going to them because, number one, the ticket prices are outrageous usually. Mm-hmm. And then... They'll try to limit what you're drinking and they'll do this and they'll do that. And then we went to one where it was also a barbecue festival and it was like, oh, great. Yeah, you pay this much per ticket. You get to judge all these different local barbecues, pick your favorite barbecue, and you get to try craft beer. Well, we got there and then we found out, oh, our ticket only covered the price of the craft beer tasting. We had to pay extra for the barbecue. Yeah, we had to pay extra for it. And then like... The barbecue was you only got a certain number of tickets. They had something like, uh, what was it, like 25 or 30 barbecue vendors. You got 10 tickets. So you got to try 10 samples. You couldn't even try all the types of barbecue to vote on them. Like you had to pick 10 and try it. It was it was like, what? And then like the craft beer, like I said, you've got a lot of these national brands. Like half of the beers there are beers that you can buy nationally literally anywhere. And Defeating I feel like the purpose. It, it, exactly. I feel like it's kind of against mm-hmm. the entire purpose of the whole thing. So for me, like I want to go to these festivals. I want to go to these things and enjoy them. And I think, like I said, for smaller breweries, for local breweries, I'm sure they still love it because it's still exposure. But I would like to see an event where it's nothing but those small, small breweries that don't have the huge footprint, that don't have the national sales presence, that don't make... Five million nine hundred ninety nine thousand barrels a year. You know, I would love that. I think that that would be fantastic. Like I said, that's why I stopped going to them. I I was like, what am I spending my money for? I'm spending like forty bucks, fifty bucks, sixty bucks a ticket. Sometimes it depends on where it is and what it is. And you're walking around the festival floor, and oh, there's the Sam Adams tent. What? Get out of here. Go away. I can stop at the gas station on the way out of here and pick up Sam Adams. <laughs> Same thing as trying to get uh, tap space in a bar, right? Exactly, exactly. It's it's such a, a a competitive market, and yeah, I mean, Sam Adams has definitely got the ability to muscle in there and be like, yeah, I want a few taps there, and they've got the money to do it. <laughs> it sounds like for you know fans of particular craft beer, there's like um, feels like not unwanted, but sort of a responsibility to kind of trump out what you like if it's not one of the bigger brands because it seems like it takes a lot to kind of break through and get get to another level of exposure so everyone's enjoying it i would i would say so yeah and that's why there's like there's there's uh untapped is a beer rating app that i use specifically Mm -hmm. and i i follow a lot of other people on there a lot of other people follow me and it's basically letting the other people in the craft beer community know hey this is what this tastes like or this is what this rating is and Justin does it more so than I do. I really don't pay attention to the ratings before I pick up a beer. If I haven't tried it, I'll try anything once. Yeah. You yeah. know, but Justin will actually go to the store and he'll pull up untapped and he'll search beers in untapped 
while he's at the store and he'll be like, oh, this one's only rated three stars out of five. I'm not even going to bother with it. And I'll try this one. That's oh, wow. four. You know, he, he goes to that level or at least he used to. I don't think he does anymore, but you know, I mean, like you, you have a segment on your show every time where you talk about what you're drinking. I think it's more entertaining if sometimes you don't like what you're drinking. Yeah. There's, there have been those times like when I, I made the mistake over the summer I didn't make the mistake. I was at a barbecue. Literally, I didn't bring any beer. It was the only beer there. And I'm a New York Giants fan. I had a New York Giants label on it. So I drank a Bud Light. Whatever. I was barbecuing. It was out in the sun. Whatever. And Justin gave me so much crap over it. Really? He's, <laughs> as penance for it, he he was like, you have to drink a pumpkin beer live on the show. And uh. I agreed to it. I'm a good sport. So I'm like, all right, I'll do it. I'll do it. So I went out and I bought a big 22-ounce tall boy of uh, Southern Tears oak barrel-aged pumpkin and i hate like with a passion the regular pumpkin so i was praying beyond prayer that the the barrel aging it was rum soaked barrels mm. so i was like maybe that rum soak well, will just kind we'll, of we'll numb. get in there yeah it'll numb that pumpkin flavor a little bit maybe it'll make it palatable i could not have been more wrong it was atrociously oh. bad <laughs> Oh, I was miserable that whole episode. I had to force that thing down. <laughs> I hope it was at least entertaining. Well, it was probably entertaining <laughs> for Justin, but for me, <laughs> that's what it's about, though. It's all in service of the show, I guess. <laughs> it's interesting because, like, you mentioned the rum barrels, and rum barrels come from whiskey barrels, which I think come from wine barrels. So you end up using the same barrel like four times <laughs> for different alcohol. They even do that. We went to, I think it was actually somewhere in Niagara that we went to some wineries up there and we had a whole winery tour and they were talking about some of their different varietals and they have certain vintages where they'll actually, you know, some things they'll do in the steel canisters, some things they'll do in fresh oak barrels that they get brand new and then other wines they'll do in barrels that they've used three or four times. So you'll get it, it, it. It's all about getting that different flavor profile in there. And one of the best beers I've had in a long time. And I don't know if you guys are too familiar with what a Goza is, but essentially it's a sour beer with kind of a salt characteristic to it. Interesting. It seems weird, but it, the best one I've ever had was from a brewery in Canandaigua, New York called Nedlow. And essentially what they did was they took this Goza, nice sour beer, good salt characteristic they added about 20 pounds of peeled limes to the mash okay mm -hmm. and so it adds a really prominent lime characteristic and then they aged it in tequila barrels <laughs> so it came out of those tequila barrels it tastes like a margarita and a beer had a baby i love margarita <laughs> and i love i'm getting into the goza style I'm, i've only had a few good ones but this was one of them this was always amazing and even if you're not a big fan of goza it still had the lime characteristic the salt the tequila characteristic it still had that margarita flavor to it where you were like this is fine i can get through this no problem so <laughs> It was always, oh, that man, that was good. I want more of that now. Makes me sad. <laughs> oh, man. It reminds me of a bad experience I had with a Goza, though. Right here in Binghamton, there's a brewery moved in called Binghamton Brewing that I despise. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so you guys remember the Ghostbusters reboot came out over last summer, right? Yep. Yeah. And mm -hmm. they re-released Ecto Cooler because of this. Yep. And me and Justin, of course, were thrilled because we're children of the 80s. And we were like, oh, my God, Ecto Cooler. It's the greatest thing of all time. <laughs> And the the brewery, Binghamton Brewing, decides they're going to make an ecto-cooler Goza. 
And we were like, what? And like, I was like, this is amazing. This is going to be, this is going to be good. I'm going to go down there. I'm going to give it a chance. There's no way they can mess this up. Terrible. It was so bad. Like they took Ecto Cooler and granted, I mean, when you're the age I am now versus the age I was when Ecto Cooler was first around, Ecto Cooler is not all that you remember it to be. First of all, (laughs) (laughs) not even close, but it's still like you drink it for the nostalgia and you're like, yeah, okay, fine. But all the, whatever this brewery did to it, trying to make a beer out of it. Oh God, it was bad. I, I, in terms of, uh, in terms of, you know, your, your youthful self versus today. Uh, I was the biggest fan of Pepsi Blue when it came out. And now, like, nice. the, the thought of it disgusts me. Crystal Pepsi was that way for me. Like, when it came out, I was like, oh, Crystal Pepsi's the greatest thing. And I remember drinking a lot of it when I was younger. And then they did the re-release of that last summer. And I bought, like, a couple of 20-ounce bottles of it, and I drank it. I was like, what? <laughs> oh, no. I was like, yeah, I can see why this didn't have a good footprint on the market for very long. And then I was at Wegmans like a couple weeks ago, and I just saw like this massive end cap display just full of them, like in a loose pile. I'm like, they must have just had these left over in the back somewhere, and they were like, get rid of them. (laughs) Well, dang, they never brought that up here. Uh, We did recently get Cherry Coke Zero, though. Cherry Coke Zero. Um, Did you ever have Orbits? Like the gum? (laughs) <laughs> no, um, it was like it was like pop. It was like clear pop. I think like a cream soda with like yeah. bits of goo floating in it. And I'm glad I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I can't about, remember really. what the appeal <laughs> of it you're, was. You're better off. <laughs> I mean, you guys remember, right? Oh yeah. I, maybe, it was, yes. maybe it was a Canadian thing. I don't know. I, I sampled. It was someone. disgusting. It was, whole, it was yeah. wholly unappealing. Yeah. <laughs> but I still remember being excited when it came out. Ugh. That's one of those things. Soda's that way, too, where you can get, uh, especially, I grew up in Pennsylvania, where birch beer, especially like Pennsylvania Dutch birch beer, is a huge thing. And you'll go to local communities where they make their own, and it's only distributed in that very local area. But it's like the best soda you'll ever taste in your life. It's so good. Oh, it's so, and like, one of them was blue one time from one town. I'm just like, why is this blue? But it doesn't matter why it's blue because it's so good. What, what you could is... be drinking antifreeze and you're like, I don't care if I go blind. It's good. What is, what is birch beer? Uh, it's, it's think of root beer. Okay. But they make it with like birch bark and like the sap from the birch tree or whatever. Okay. I don't know the exact process to be honest, but, oh. but it's but, just, but it's got a really, ish. yeah, it think of like the kind of, that kind of tangy, like spicy kind of punch you get with root beer multiplied mm. by like 10. It's just got that much more of a, it's really weird to try to describe it. I don't honestly, I don't think I've ever described root beer before, so I don't really know how. I mean, but I mean, I get root beer. It's root beer on so steroids. Like, yeah. We'll call okay. it that. All right. The flavor super, is super just water. that much more um, potent. Potent. That's a perfect word for it. It's just, it's just a much, much stronger flavor when it hits the tongue. It's like, boom, you know, where root beer is like, boom. <laughs> <laughs> Root beer's like, hey, buddy. <laughs> I get it. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Some breweries do their own root beers, too, locally, uh, which uh, there's one up near Geneva, New York, that does one that's pretty good. And I always like it when I can taste those, too, even though it's a complete ripoff when you get those in beer flights because you're paying beer prices to drink, you know, soda. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the whole thing of it. It's It goes back to that whole locality of it that unique local 
footprint. Like when I drink that root beer, I know it's only local to that very small area. They don't bottle it. They don't can it. They only sell it at the brewery. So if I want it, I got to go all the way up there to get it. And it's just, it's, it makes it that much more special. And whether or not that factors into the enjoyment of it or not, I don't know. I think all their beer is terrible. I just love the root beer. So, <laughs> well, <laughs> you know. thing like, like whatever that particular brewery is, but like, there, there's like a little bit of sense of ownership, right? Because as you said, it's like, you can't get this particular beer anywhere else in the world. Exactly. Yeah. You're exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. There's kind of an exclusivity to it, too. Do you know if there are trends like, depending on like different regions of the u.s i I don't travel enough to know Mm -hmm. really i mean i talk to different people that live in different areas of the country that get to try some of these beers that i've not gotten the the handle on and i'm sure there are i I would have to believe that there are but i wouldn't know what they are because i just don't get i just don't get to travel around enough to really sample everything that's out there i wish i did but yeah i just don't get to travel enough Mm-hmm. We talked a little bit about uh, a little bit about it already, bringing up uh, things like craft beer festivals and uh, apps like Untapped. But uh, are there any other ways that you know of that people experience community through craft beer? I'd have to believe that there's yeah, the, I, I'd have to believe that there's congregating places all over the internet, just like there are for anything else. Yeah, you know where, and I know Twitter is a huge place because I tweet out every week okay. what we're drinking on the show, and I'll always get followbacks from sometimes breweries, depending on the hmm. brewery. Some breweries have a really good social media presence where they, you know, they're grateful, they thank you for drinking their beer, whatever. Which I always feel is nice because I like it when they go that extra step. But yeah, like I, social media platforms, basically the same thing as anything else. I think, I mean, I'm sure there are others yeah. that I'm just not aware of, but I mean, I'm so busy with everything else in my life like i can't devote massive amounts of time to them so it's like eh. <laughs> yeah that's kind of interesting i mean because like a lot of the fandoms we've talked about on the show so far are generally you know movies or tv shows or books and they're things that people from the ages of like five to 105 can experience but with beer you're kind of like getting into this point in a lot of people's life where either they're super social because they're in college or university or like just out working and they're single and in, in, in their twenties or uh, they're a little bit older. Maybe they've got a family or like a really high pressure job or a really involved job and they just don't have that time for that community. So I feel like it's probably more niche than some of your other fandoms would be only because yeah. I mean, of course, you know, you can't have beer when you're younger. Cough, cough, cough. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, you know, but even still, like, granted, when I first started drinking, like, you don't jump in whole hog on craft beer. No, no, craft no, beer no. really no. wasn't a huge thing when I was coming up. But, yeah. you know, even still, like, there are a lot of people that just swear by your national brands. Mm-hmm. You know, they won't try anything. They don't like anything else that's not Coors, Miller, Bud, whatever else. Labatt, Molson. I mean, you guys know that stuff up in Canada. <laughs> Sounds like Tim oh, yeah. Horton's coffee for some people. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you've, I'm sure you've been to Tim Horton's. You're in New York, right? I have been to Tim Horton's, yes. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, just, it's just not quite the same down there. They sell chips there, which is weird. Thankfully, I've only been there like once or twice. <laughs> and it, it just it feels like every other kind of coffee chain to me where I'm just like, yeah, I don't care about I hate Dunkin' Donuts with a passion. Mm-hmm. I'll give Tim Hortons the edge over Dunkin' any day. Because mm-hmm. Dunkin' Donuts coffee tastes like water to me. 
Okay. It's like okay. it's so weak. It's so pathetically weak. Remember when I was talking about the stouts earlier? How you can see through them. Dunkin' Donuts yeah. coffee is kind of the same way. Oh. <laughs> wow. I was going to say Tim Hortons here is like the frequency of Dunkin' Donuts there, but I think we have more Tim Hortons here than you guys have Dunkin'. Yeah. I, like it's I, insane. I, I think I had Tim Hortons coffee once and I was driving somewhere and I just needed the coffee. And yeah. in the That's town what it's I was for. in, exactly. In the town I was in, there was a Tim Hortons and a Dunkin' Donuts. So I'm picking the Tim Hortons. <laughs> yeah. It's fine. It's just everywhere. Yeah, it's it's currently roll up the rim season, so it's just uh, it's okay. Cha- it's chaos up here. People are afraid to leave their homes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. In case they get trampled by by mobs of uh, of cup grabbers. Oh, it's like it's like down in the states. Whenever, uh, well, I don't know if this is true up in Canada. I know I've talked to podcasters in Australia, and pumpkin flavored things aren't a thing in Australia. What a beautiful, wonderful place that must be to live. Uh- <laughs> For that yep. one reason alone, yeah. we got the we got the full we got the full pumpkin up here. Pumpkin. Yeah, everything. I would have to imagine you guys probably do. It, it's like it it all of a sudden in like August, everything transforms, and literally you can't buy anything that doesn't have pumpkin flavoring in it. Buy pumpkin flavored motor oil. Why the hell not? <laughs> sure. Like it's pumpkin flavored antifreeze. <laughs> To go with the motor oil. Everywhere. You you, you just, you can't escape it. It's just like, I wish, like I said, if if everything in Australia wasn't constantly trying to kill everyone that lives there, (laughs) you know, that no pumpkin thing is like the one saving grace. It's like, yeah, but we don't have pumpkin anything. More more things per capita that will kill you than anywhere else or something like that. Yeah, it's just all the it's just all the snakes and everything else you got to worry about down there trying to kill you. But at least you don't have pumpkin, pumpkin spice chai lattes or whatever. So perhaps a shorter <laughs> life, but a happier. One. <laughs> but a happier life, nonetheless. <laughs> <sighs> uh, spotlight this week: Untapped, Untapped. dot com. Mentioned earlier on the podcast where Love you can it. check in and rate beer, discover new beers and unlock badges. Uh, Nick H. already has an extensive collection if you want to try to race against him. Well, let me see here. I mean, drinking responsibly, of course. I'll actually tell you live on the show what my unique beer counter is and my total check-ins. I have 1,246 total check-ins All right, and 729 unique beers. And probably at least half of those, I think I have the level 50 IPA badge. Uh, I think at least half of these check-ins are nothing but IPAs. Let me find my IPA no. badge here. No. If there is, I don't know what it is because this stopped updating on April 23rd, 2016. And let me tell you, it used to update like every five beers. You get another level of the badge. And I've had way more than five new IPAs in the past year. <laughs> they may have just stopped. Like once you hit level 50 on a badge, they're like, all right, go try something else. You, yeah, Land of the Free is another one. Like beer that's made in America. I hit that two years ago. Ooh, I have level four for Canadian beers. Nice. Yeah. yeah. I need three more to get to level five. Uh, the last time I got one was when I was in Toronto, actually. Do you remember what it was? Uh, the beer? Um 
The most recent one I had, let's see. Oh, there's Taps Brewing, which is in Toronto. That's at least half of the beers that I had. <laughs> uh, I had something called Apocalypse Now when I was in Niagara Falls. That was interesting. Okay. And then one of my favorite beers that I had ever, and I actually didn't have this in Canada. Me and Justin found this at a Whole Foods in Virginia. It's <laughs> called Total Eclipse of the Hop. <laughs> <laughs> I bought it for the name alone, but it's brewed in uh, British Columbia. That one is. Yeah, there's a few other ones on here. Collective Arts Brewing. I don't know where some of these are. Nickelbrook Brewing, I believe, is Niagara. Ah, actually, that one's in Guelph. Oh, okay. Very nice. But yeah, I absolutely love it. And you can actually find me on there if any of your listeners want to follow me on Untapped. Please do. I am at all one word, The Red Ray Lives. Hmm. All right, we can throw that in the show notes. Yeah, please do. Please do, because I love it when people follow me so I can find out what they're drinking. And like sometimes I'll see things and I'll add it to my beer wish list. I don't have very many beers on the beer wish list because a lot of time it's really far out of my region. And it's like, well, I'm never going to get there to drink that. So too bad. But hey, I at least will toast you whenever you check in with what you're drinking. Awesome. Now, Nick H., is there anything you'd like to plug? Oh, let's see. I do a little show. It's been around for like a week or two now. <laughs> okay. We're just getting okay. our feet wet in this whole podcasting <laughs> game. Uh, no, we are the Epic Film Guys. And by the time your audience hears this, our Oscars review episode will be out. So we'll be reviewing everything that landed mm. and that won awards at the Oscars. We're 86 episodes in now. I still absolutely love it. I edit and produce the show. Justin is a drunk bastard that shows up on the show and <laughs> pretends he's all these different characters. We have such a great time. It's so much fun. We do drink craft beer. We have a lot of fun. We talk about a lot more than films. We love to get involved with our audience. So if you haven't ever heard the show, please check us out. Uh, literally epic film guys everywhere. I, I used to list them all off like, Oh, you can find us on this and this and this it's epic film guys, just epic film guys, no matter what you're on search for us and you'll find us. If you don't find us, you'll find some sad imitation of us. Sorry. <laughs> if you're looking for a way to support this show that you're listening to right now, you should definitely head over to patreon.com slash the next cast. Why is that, T? Why should people check out our Patreon page? Well, for one thing, it's the best place to find out all the different things that the next cast is up to, whether that be our Let's Play series, our interviews with people at conventions, or our podcast. It is also the best way if you want to support the next cast and help us to make more cool stuff. Whether that cool stuff is interviewing people like Nick H. today, or Tracy Moore, the original English voice actor of Sailor Moon, or whoever else we interview between now and whenever you hear this. I don't know, man. I'm a I'm Did I just a get put on the same level voice. as a voice actor from Sailor Moon? Because yes. I don't yes. think I belong anywhere near that level. <laughs> I mean, we can find ways to take you down a peg. That's fine. <laughs> Perfect. Taking people down is easy. Elevating them is hard. Several pegs. I need at least six or seven pegs down the ladder. <laughs> I'm somewhere along, like, I don't know, the guy that scrubs out dumpsters after the garbage guys empty them. <laughs> is, there, is that a job? It's got to be a job. Somebody does that somewhere. Hmm. Volunteer dumpster cleaner writer. <laughs> yes. Done. Anyway, if you want to check out uh, more stuff by us, you can check out patreon.com slash the next cast, and that is also where you can help to support the podcast. Also, you can check us out on iTunes. Love ratings, reviews, subscriptions. So you get this straight to your inbox every Friday uh, when it comes out. 
Uh, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook are all at the NixCast. You can find us there. And if you have uh, feedback or ideas for fandoms you'd like to see us cover, email us at nick at thenixcast.com. And if you want to join in on the conversation on Twitter, be sure to use that hashtag, hashtag Fanthropological. Nick H., I just wanted to thank you very much for being on the show with us, and I had one parting question. Ooh. Hmm. If we were to cover a fandom of your choice, what would that fandom be? Jeez. <sighs> hmm. I'm trying to think of... Hmm. I would say maybe... You know, one of the things I've gotten into a lot recently is I've gotten huge back into PC gaming. I would say PC gamers. PC game, okay. PC okay. gamers would be because there is definitely still that dividing wall between console gamers and PC gamers, oh, where yeah. PC gamers are like flinging their poo over the wall at console <laughs> gamers. Master Race, yeah. yeah, PC Master Race, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which it's hard not to think like that sometimes, especially when you play games that are ported to consoles very poorly, and you're like. I have the better version. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> My processing power is better than your Xbox One, sucker. Yeah. <laughs> uh. All righty. I guess it's about time to wrap this episode up. Pretty much. It's been an absolute pleasure to be on the show. And I, of course, I, I did that race against time with you guys raising money for Alzheimer's when you guys live stream Chrono Trigger for, was it 24 or 36 hours? I can't remember which it was. A mere 24. A mere 24. <laughs> for we are only mere mortals. But mm-hmm. it, it was such a blast, not only to just kind of relive that game. I had to play it in spurts because I had so much stuff to do that day, so I was in and out. But it was, number one, a great cause. So, you know, you guys deserve all the credit in the world for that. But it was so much fun to talk to other huge fans of that game and just kind of experience it through other people's eyes as well. All, like I said, all for a good cause. That was a super, super fun time. And if you guys do stuff like that in the future, I'll definitely be along for the ride as well. Awesome. Thanks again for being on. Yeah. Good job, Nick. <laughs> Congratulations, Nick. Nick, you're awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Next week on Phanthropological, we are building up our understanding of the Lego fandom brick by brick. And we're going to take you from a full to swooshable and beyond. That's next week on Phanthropological. second here talk amongst yourselves and i will have an introduction for you in a minute all right okay uh well I'm, i am glad that you were able to to make it i'm gonna i'm gonna call you h <laughs> that's yeah that's <laughs> to per- maintain that's, that's perfect it, yeah that's perfect because it'll just maintain the whole illusion <laughs> but you've been here the whole uh, time <laughs> when, when we were talking about this before the cast started